Welcome to Perspectives Unsettled, a podcast that exists to challenge our assumptions about faith and move the average Christian from status quo into boldness in action. I'm your host, Emily Luttrell, and this is part two of our series on scripture with our friend and partner, Will Barnes from Sojourn Church here in Evansville. If you missed last month's episode, you might want to go back and give it a listen. It's the first part of our conversation on scripture, and we also define some terms that do come up in this part of the conversation. This episode starts following up on part of that conversation where I talked about some of the things that I'd been learning about the orthodox view of scripture, thanks to one of my best friends who is converting. So Hannah, if you're listening, what's up? And we use that as a starting point to explore different ideas of what the purpose of scripture might be. So one of the things that you're example of your friend uh, brings up, Emily, you were talking about, you know, how that particular vein of orthodoxy views scripture. Um, it, it reminds me of this question that was added a little bit late in our, in our script, in our outline is what, what is the purpose of the Bible? Hmm. And um, this kind of connects with something that you said or something that you said uh, reminded, is it, is it a book whose purpose is we ask the question today, well, what does the Bible say about fill in the blank? Mm-hmm. And its purpose is we go find the answer. Hmm. A question of morality, a question of ethics, a question of justice, a question of um, you know, social whatever interactions. Mm-hmm. Uh, is, is that the purpose of the Bible is to... I have a question about this. What does the Bible say? Um, are there other purposes of the Bible? Um, obviously, this is a huge question. So, sure. <laughs> but that's why it's a two-part episode. <laughs> How would you respond to that, Will? Um, well, I think... Um, I mean, I would say that the the purpose of Scripture, as it's been revealed, is to tell us a story um, that points us, uh, not only individually, but also collectively for our need to be redeemed and that redemption then coming true in Christ. I, I tend to, um, and I, this is not a very, uh, common thing probably, but when I, when I hear, whew, this is, mm, this is rough, but when I, <laughs> like, for instance, like in the new Testament, when it says all scriptures, God breathed, you know, it's talking about the old Testament. You know, and so I like I, I don't like those are like contextual issues again. Right. Like right, like I see, I see the New Testament going through a process of canonization. We could talk about all these things. Um, I see it as these are the books that were informing the early church, uh, and I and I and, and I will argue so I'm blue in the face about the reliability of these texts yeah. for sure, especially the Gospels as eyewitness documents. Which yep. uh, for that I would recommend anyone to read uh, Richard Balcom's Jesus and the Eyewitnesses as a great. Um, just his historist, uh, uh, historical mm-hmm. understanding of these documents and how they fit in with the culture of first century. Uh, but I, I would say that um, for me, I see, oh, I see the Old Testament and the New Testament um, with, with very different purposes. I, I see the Old Testament as this overarching story that if you read it, especially in, in the order of like the, uh, the Jewish order, the, the, the order of the Tanakh, the way that the, the, the Hebrew people have had these books ordered for, mm. you know, however long, millennia, you, you, you end with first and second Chronicles and you end second Chronicles at the end of reading all of these things. And you're left just on a cliff, like, Oh my mm. gosh, we need a Messiah. Mm. Um, I remember, um, a few years ago I, I took a sabbatical, um, for reasons we can get into on a set whole set of podcasts. <laughs> um, but on that sabbatical, I, I realized that I didn't know the story as well as I thought I did. And, uh, and I wanted just mm. to be reminded of the story. Cool. Um, and so I read through the old Testament in the order that's not, and I, and I refused to read any new Testament for like four months. Uh, and I heard it at church services and different people quote it, you know, whatever they quote all the time usually out of context, but, <laughs> but I said, uh, I, I said, I'm not going to read any new Testament. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm just going to sit in the old Testament and I read it through 
and I read it in the order of the Jewish order and I, I came to the end and I was, I was like longing for something. Mm. And I opened up after like four months of just being in the old Testament, I opened up Matthew chapter one and I read the genealogy and I cried hmm. at a genealogy for goodness <laughs> sake. You know, that's awesome. It's like, Oh wait, Oh, I remember that. I remember yeah. that. I remember that. Yeah. Oh yeah. God did move through that person and they had that person. I'm going to tear it up now at a genealogy. Yeah. Like genealogies are like the boring thing that you skip, you know? Right. right. And like I opened up Matthew and all of a sudden that genealogy shook me yeah. in a way that that's I didn't cool. expect. And I think that, hmm. so the purpose, I think, Maybe it's because of my own personal experience and what I'm drawing from. But the purpose of the Old Testament for me is to bring me to a place where I see my and our collective and our global and our and our need for a redeemer and creation's need for me. Mm-hmm. And then I rest in that longing, you know, and I rest in the gaps that are there mm-hmm. until all of a sudden those gaps are filled in Jesus. And then I think the New Testament purpose is to show us how he does all the promises do find their yes in Christ. You know, it's mm-hmm. good. So, it's all about Jesus. I yeah. guess that's what I'm saying. It's cool. Emily, do you have any thoughts on that in terms of this idea of there's different ways you could frame it? You know, what's the purpose of the Bible or is the Bible the place where we get all our answers, questions answered about morality and ethics and social cues and things of that nature? Um, I think no to that question. Okay. <laughs> do we get all the answers? <laughs> morality? No, probably not. That's I... I really, so I really love reading. I really love books and I get kind of frustrated when people read a book like this one's pointless or like this didn't have, like this book didn't end well. I'm not satisfied with it. So therefore it's bad or it's not fulfilling what it should do. And like, well, who, who says Mm -hmm. what, what this, you know, story is supposed to do. Not, not everything has to be like Aesop's fables, you know, like I'm not, I'm not a baby. I can handle grown up stories. <laughs> and so just thinking like whenever we're talking about like, okay, I'm going to ask a question and open the Bible and find an answer to it. It just made me think of all the times people asked that of Jesus. And then he'd be like, okay, let me tell you a story in, re- in, res- in response. Yeah. And he like does not tell them, right. okay, this is what you should do. And even the stories he tells them, sometimes they are like, okay, pretty straightforward. If I see somebody who's been beaten up on the side of the road, Mm. I need to love that person regardless of where they're from. But they're not always like, okay, so you're going to ask me, like, how do I get to heaven? I'm going to tell you a story that you cannot take literally. Right. Yeah. And I I, you know, go, go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead, because I don't really know. Well, just, well, you, you mentioned the, you know, the, the Good Samaritan narrative. And I think that that's uh, um, like there's so many layers there mm-hmm. um, that if the listeners were listening, they would, you know, I guess he who has an ear or she who has an ear, <laughs> let him let her hear. But the the reality of like, yeah, like the the first level takeaway is pretty clear. Like if someone's suffering, you should like that's the more righteous thing to do. Um, and then like the, like the, like the other like level of it is to recognize like his, his, um, uh, his, his invitation for those Pharisees to see themselves as a Samaritan mm-hmm. in need of care, you know, and himself as a, like their redeemer as a, as a Samaritan, you know? And like, I, I like, there's just like so many layers there to, to where like, when I read that story now, it's like, I. I'm challenged to see that's a, that back that idea, like who I see myself in the story as, you know, mm-hmm. who am I actually being challenged to see myself in the story? You mentioned David, you know, before, and like, you know, growing up, it was like the story of David is about how you can defeat your giants. If you trust God and here's, <laughs> here's five stones to right. take out the giants in your life. Um, instead of realizing like that's not who I am in the story. Right. I'm, I'm one of the Israelites behind the rock right. shivering. Cause I'm too afraid and too weak to defeat my own giants. David is Jesus who defeated my real giant that I couldn't defeat on my own. And now I get to come out and celebrate in the victory because my victor defeated the giant. Um, and for me, like the good Samaritan story for a long time, I was like, how do I live that? How do I be that? And then I realized, wait, I was on the road. I was beaten up. I was the one in need of care. Jesus did that for me. And now out of healing, I can then pay that forward. But there's this out of gratitude, you know, and it changes the motivation for everything in terms of how I, like, it seems like for my life anyway, every parable, every 
Old Testament story, like all the characters have been rearranged over years. And it's like, I'm, I'm not who I thought I was. Um, and Jesus isn't who I thought he was. He's something much bigger and better. Um, and now I get to be a part of that thing that's bigger than better, but, but it, but it's because I've, I don't know, because he stepped out there first. So one of the things that you've mentioned a few times, Will, um, in different parts of this conversation is the word intent. Um, Mm. and I want to come back to that and I want to connect that to three of the terms that we started off the podcast, the terms inerrancy, infallibility, inspiration. Yeah. And, um, with, with that sort of concept of intent woven in, I'm, I'm just curious, I'm definitely putting you on the spot here, but when you think of those three terms and kind of the spectrum of what they represent from Mm -hmm. inerrancy to inspiration, what do you, like, how do you respond to those concepts? Where, 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 where are you at with the ideas of scripture being inerrant and mm-hmm. infallible? Yeah. Um, curious your, how the concept of intent, author's intent yeah. plays into inerrancy and infallibility specifically. Yeah. Um, so maybe you could unpack that a little bit more because you, you've mentioned the word intent, mm. in, intent a little bit, been yeah. able to dance around a little bit, but I want to give you some time to really Oh, into that. that's very kind. Um, I, I, I think that I would agree with all of those things. Um, and that's probably, I don't want, I don't mean that to be a cop out, but I do believe that the scripture is without error in its original manuscripts in the intention of the, of the passage. You know, I think that sometimes it's very difficult and there's times where it's almost nearly impossible to understand the intention of a passage. And there's verses even from relatively, you know, like some of the newer, like, uh, New Testament documents where like there's statements and like, we don't know what, Paul's talking about, mm. you know, like, uh, I'm thinking of like first Corinthians, like the baptism of the dead and things like, well, no one knows what he's talking about. Mm. We have no idea what his intention is when he's saying these yeah. things. Um, I believe firmly that as God inspired him to write these words, that they were without error in the ways that these people needed to hear them and receive them. Mm. Um, that being said, uh, it was, it was to them before it was to me mm-hmm. and my understanding of what Paul's doing there. And maybe someone knows what he's talking about, but my understanding is, um, no one really knows what he means. Um, and so the intention is, uh, somewhat lost. Um, and so, yeah, it, that, that becomes very difficult. Does that mean that there's an error in it? I would say not in its original intent in the original manuscripts, but I would, in terms of our ability to have all of it sorted, um, I, I think that's, that's asking a bit much. And, and, and I even questioned the, the, the motivation for that, but, <laughs> but I would say that, that, that it is, it is without error in its original manuscripts in its original intention. I think we have to do the hard work of along with the inspiration of the Holy spirit ourselves, mm-hmm. try to discern and understand the original intent as best as we can. I do believe that the infallibility of it. Like for instance, maybe we don't quite understand what Paul means by the baptism of the dead, but I think we can glean that he's not really making a huge deal out of something that maybe we would today. Mm. And he sees some other issues, some relational dynamics is more important. Mm. And so maybe we can glean some things that are helpful for us today Mm. by how we prioritize what's really important in the community and what's not. Um, and I think the inspiration aspect of it, I do think that God inspired these things, but I think that once you answer that intention question, like back to the Genesis one issue is Genesis one, how God made creation or why God made creation. Mm -hmm. What's the intention of the authors Mm -hmm. there or that even we could even say the song of Genesis one, what is the intention of that? Um, well, we can say it's inspired, but if it's an inspired song about how God created the world, well, the regardless of what scientific information you bring to the table, Genesis chapter two won't let you read it literally because it's a different order in chapter two than it is in chapter one. So all of a sudden now the intention, if the intention is how God made the world in Genesis one, two and three and four and so forth, then all of a sudden that, that intentionality is kind of lost. We can't hold that intention within the context. We have to find another intention. It must be because otherwise this, this, this is falling. This, this isn't allowing us to be that rigid. Um, so there's another intention. What is that intention? What's he, God's the main character of the story for sure. And, and it seems to be, um, a very layered story, which we can go into, but I think that, that, you know, once you arrive at some understanding, you can, you can, of intentionality, or even you realize that that, uh, the, how God created the world isn't the intentionality. That's the starting place. You can then say that this inspired song, um, it's not an issue of whether it has 
errors and or not, but but it's an inspired song that if you hold as best we can the original intention, I don't think we're as um, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's like, for instance, Jesus talking about the smallest seed, right? He says Mm -hmm. like, it's not the smallest seed that exists in the world, but that's the smallest seed they knew. Mm -hmm. And so is Jesus wrong, you know, (laughs) or is he just realizing that if he brings up this other seed that they won't even know about for another thousand years, that it's going (laughs) to really derail the conversation, (laughs) you know? Um, so, so what's, what's going on here? Is Jesus limited? Is scripture limited? Um, I would just say, take a step back and ask what's the intention and whether or not it, you know, I do think it's inspired and I think that it's inspired for the people that it's being written to. Um, and there does seem to be, you know, different, like, I think the, the real issue is when you get into like the epistles and you see Paul giving different, um, instructions to different groups of people, mm-hmm. you know, and all of a sudden now we have, we, we, we can say that when maybe Paul was inspired at this point to think this way and this point to think that way, or maybe we can take a step back and say, these are different communities with different needs. Mm-hmm. And he's inspired to write to these communities uh, by God, um, without error to their current need. Um, and, and that's the intention of what he's doing. He's not, he's not changing his mind mm-hmm. and just being inspired by God in the process, but he's very intentional that this community needs to be directed in this way. And this community needs to be directed mm-hmm. in another way. Um, and I think that's also another good intention to take away in terms mm-hmm. of, uh, the infallibility issue is that not every community needs the same instructions. Mm. So kind of on that note, the again the idea of intent um understanding what the original intent was for that original audience and you mentioned the epistles and you know different communities of people needing to have in that case paul write to them about different things mm-hmm. so one of the probably common somewhat common um challenges that people have with scripture is let's say emily and i are debating about a particular hot topic in Christianity. Sure. We yes. can both reference yeah. scripture and probably both reference Paul. Exactly. <laughs> to validate or feel like we're validating at least our yeah. complete opposite views. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, the one, things that come to mind right away are all the hot topics of women in ministry, homosexuality, yeah. things sure. of that nature. What do we do with that? Huh? Well, I, I think, are you asking me? Or? I'm asking okay. us collectively. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I, I think I think first and foremost, we 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 need to there there has to be a step of interpretation, um, and we need to interpret scripture. I think to assume that we don't need to interpret what Paul's saying and just copy and paste it, you know, is 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 an error because it is written to people in a particular community, a particular time. I think context is monumental as much as we can understand and. Um, and recognizing Paul speaking to different groups about different things. Um, and that an issue for one group is not, you know, it's like he never talks about marriage in Romans. I don't think, you know, mm-hmm. like, but like that seems like a big deal other places. So right. why, I mean, why not? in his like, I mean, arguably, well, it's the longest letter. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's not like he was like short of, you know, sh- short on paper. Right. You know, <laughs> like he could have fit it in, but he just didn't, you know, whatever. So, <laughs> so why not give it the same? I mean, you know, I mean, Ephesians is only what six chapters and it's, half a chapter mm-hmm. six or five or something or five. So the point is that like, I, I think that there's clearly differences between groups and just copying and pasting one instruction from a particular group to yourself or to your, your community as a whole really undermines a lot of, um, uh, uh, cultural assessment between where is the community or you personally versus where is the community, um, or the, or the individual, like in the case of Timothy, for instance, that, that Paul's writing to. Mm-hmm. Um, and how much am I on the same side of the issues that they're on or on, mm-hmm. maybe I'm falling off the horse on the other side. And I actually, the intentionality of what this means needs to be reappropriated in a vastly different way. Mm-hmm. But, um, understanding Paul's original intention, I think is important as best we can understanding the dynamics of a culture that he's writing to as best we can. Some are, I mean, you know, I mean, some are clear, you know, some are less clear, but I think, um, you know, reading, I think reading the fullness of epistles helps. Like if you're going to like study what Paul says in Ephesians, I think it's important to read the whole thing. If you're going to look at Timothy, look mm-hmm. at read first and second, second Timothy together. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're going to look at Corinthians, read first and second Corinthians together. Um, see, see as best we can the full story. The difficulty with first Corinthians is that it's at least second Corinthians, right? Mm-hmm. 
Like, didn't he like write? Or the second is third. Oh, the oh, second right. is third or something right. like that, right? Yeah. Right, right. Like he wrote three times, yeah. and we're like we're missing one. Yeah. And so, uh, like, the, recognizing that we're not, we don't have everything here, hmm. but what we've got, we've got some stuff we can actually work with, and mm-hmm. some stuff we can be intentional about. It's good. So. So now that we've talked about specifically Paul and a bunch of his letters that he wrote to the church, I want to talk about this idea of progressive or continued revelation, hmm. which is the idea. I, I don't know if I'm the person who should be able to define this because I kind of like, I kind of think I know what it means, but I don't know that I can like have a snappy sort of definition. Hmm. Um, but essentially this idea that God continues to, to speak to people um, and not in a way that he has changed his mind, but mm-hmm. I guess that things, things have changed and what he instructed some people to do. And now that we've talked about this, I feel weird about talking about how like God instructed people through, the, <laughs> through his books. <laughs> God inspired people who wrote the Bible to tell other people how they ought to live. Sure. It differs from person to person and it also differs from community to community that he's mm-hmm. written. And so there just a just as a lighthearted example, <laughs> we talk about <laughs> Paul writing about women in ministry or in leadership in churches. Um he he says some stuff um and that was said in a very specific context to specific people. We've talked a little bit about this on the podcast before. Mm-hmm. Um but Basically, the the argument that I've heard as a woman in ministry who has grown up in evangelical cultures is that like, yeah, Paul did say that women can't be in leadership or they shouldn't speak in church, but it's it's not that God doesn't love you. It's just that this is the context and all this stuff. But what was never really explained to me was like, I don't live in that context. Mm -hmm. So why does this apply to me? Um, And so I guess like my question that is more specific about that is, Am I, am I allowed to think that Paul would say something different if he wrote to my, if he wrote to a letter to Evansville, Mm. you know, is he going to say something different that than what's in, oh man, now I can't even remember what. (laughs) First Timothy 2 is probably Yeah. First Timothy. Is he going to say something different? And if so, like, why can't I believe that instead of have to live by hmm. this letter that he wrote to somebody else. Ben? Do you well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You haven't been on the hot seat yet, Ben. Um, maybe I'll talk a little bit more generally um, about the idea of continue to progressive revelation. And then mm. will, if you want to pick up on the specific example of women, <laughs> no, I'm, um, I'm, I'm, I'm very I'd be glad to. Well, cause I think, I think, you know, there's a whole podcast that could be done about women in ministry. Mm-hmm. And I think, but it could also be talked about as an example of, of scripture and how we view scripture. And, and actually there's a resource, maybe I've mentioned it on this podcast before, but a, a resource that I found very helpful. And I'm sure there's others similar to it, a book called slaves, women and homosexuality by William Webb. And, and this theologian who writes this book uses those three topics not necessarily to like make a point about any one of those three topics, but really to illustrate how scripture is. Uh, it's, it's not static, it's dynamic. And in the sense that there were things written about, written about slavery in the old Testament that when we, when we read them in our current modern day culture and mindset, we see, we read those things in the old Testament. And we're like, wow, that's, that's like really regressive and really, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, terrible way of saying, talking about people and slavery, et cetera. But in that day and age, it was actually incredibly progressive. It was actually quite radical what mm-hmm. the Old Testament writers were calling the nation of Israel, how they were calling the nation of Israel to treat slaves in that day. And, and you fast forward into the New Testament and even the way that Paul and others wrote about slavery in the New Testament, it was again, to us, man, that's, that's, that's so regressive and oppressive and mm-hmm. things of that nature. But in that culture and in that day, again, like there was a movement, there was progression. There was, yeah. it was very radical what Paul was saying to the believers of that day on, in terms of how to treat, uh, 
in, in this case, slaves. And, and the author, William Webb, one of the arguments he makes is there's, there's ethical issues in Scripture like that where Scripture approaches like, this may not be the ideal. We're moving towards the ideal. This may not be the ideal today, i.e. in the Old Testament or even some of the New Testament contexts, but it's, but it's, it's better than yeah. what the rest of the world is doing in this moment. And so there's that sense of where where is Scripture moving us? What mm-hmm. what's the direction and the progress, if you will, that Scripture is moving us in, in the cases of issues like slavery, mm-hmm. uh, women, and then he he also looks at homosexuality and um, and his perspective on where does Scripture move us in the in the issue of homosexuality. Um, so it's a pretty, I think for me, what was helpful was to see, and this goes back to your comments about intent, you know, like to us, um, what on the surface feels like is being communicated about the treatment of women feels very oppressive and regressive yet in that day and age was act was incredibly progressive and radical, Mm -hmm. uh, in light of, of what was going on around in culture. Um, so that that's maybe a little bit more speaking to the ideas of of progressive revelation or continued revelation. And mm-hmm. Will, I'm curious your thoughts on that in general, and then we can dive a little bit more into the example of women. Sure. Yeah, um, I don't want to skirt that question because I don't. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't wanna, oh, I, I won't let either of you skirt that question. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry. Yeah, I, I think that's be yeah. unfair. Um, uh, two things I, I would say is one is I think that, um, again, going back to that intention of those letters and of those encouragements to those people in that time um, does actually, I think, bring scripture to a, um, to a much less regressive quote unquote stance than I think we originally interpret. And I think we also um, through those restrictions, you know, I I think that we maybe like an issue of of women, for instance, you know, first century Greco-Roman world, especially like in terms of first Timothy, which would have been an Ephesus. I mean, it was very, uh, what we would, I mean, a possibly called progressive, um, you know, female culture. I mean, even in the, even in the local um, temple, there was only female leadership. Um, and so like, these are, you know, it's not like the women of the society are necessarily like held back necessarily. Like these are, like there are women put on pedestals and leading in religious ceremonies in the secular culture. So why is Paul saying what he's saying here within the Christian culture? You know, it's almost like he's pulling back the 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 culture of women in the Christian community. So what's actually going on here? What's actually happening? And I think those are those are questions that are worth asking as as difficult as they appear at first. I do think that First Timothy is actually quite beautiful and and encouraging for women in ministry, um, which is unfortunate the way it's been often repackaged. <laughs> right. Um, and I think that w- how you interpret First Timothy two twelve, I believe it is. Um, you know, that I do not permit a woman in any place to exercise authority over a man, rather she choose to remain silent. That that passage, how people interpret that passage, uh, how they read that passage, how they exegete and use their hermeneutical skills to appropriate that reality into today, um, you know, really has caused this massive chasm in Christian community. I think that, the, I mean, there's a few things that probably cause equal division, um, but that's, that's a huge one. Um, but I do think that anytime you get, We'll come back to that in a second. But anytime you, you you get into okay, so what's the intentionality of the passage, and therefore where does it lead us to? You know, what what will be the natural progression of these things? At some point, you're getting into opinion, but you're also getting into the appropriation of those intentions in your specific culture. You know, the way that would play out for us today may not be the same way it plays out in another place in the world or even in the country. Um, and so, uh, I think that in many ways that is clear when you look at Paul's writing to Corinth versus. Ephesus, these are different groups. I mean, he gives very different, I mean, I mean, in, in first Timothy, he encourages the, the younger widows to get married. And in first Corinthians, he says he does, he thinks it's best for people to remain single. Like what, what's going on? Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think Paul's had some sort of like massive transformation on his opinion of marriage. I just think he's looking at the issues of this group and be like, these people probably should keep pursuing relationships and these, these people need to not knock off pursuing relationships. (laughs) I I don't quite know what's going on here. All the, but except us to know that Paul's reading these communities very differently and giving them very different encouragements. And I don't think that would be any different today when we start trying to appropriate, what does it mean to love God and love others in our, in our time? Um, and in our way, um, 
that would make the most be most consistent with the gospel as we understand it and the gospel of the expansion of God's kingdom as we understand it. Um, those things will be applied differently. And I think, you know, when you asked about what would Paul say to a church and would he just, you know, just, just, you know, copy and paste first Timothy two. Mm-hmm. Um, my short answer is I think it depends on the community. You know, if, you know, I mean, I think that's, and that's, that's an answer no one really likes. Um, <laughs> but so I, so, so let's, so let's break that one down for just a second. I think that there's one thing to keep in mind that no one talks about, which is the men and the women of Ephesus in first Timothy are in bad shape. You know, like the guys are yelling and getting into squabbles about things that aren't, aren't relevant. And he's like, you guys need to shut up and, and just start praying together. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you guys are not focused on what's important and you have this group of elders or leaders. So we assuming that they're, they're the elders, um, because of, uh, Timothy's need to, you know, install new elders. Um, so you have these elders that are doing these weird teachings. We don't know what they're teaching. There was just some sort of Gnosticism, some sort of they're caught up in, you know, uh, uh, things that are very confrontational and, and hot button topics that are causing a lot of debate. You know, um, I don't think we get to stretch our minds to even see how that could play out today, you know, politically or any, any yeah. other way or, or theologically, but they're just, they're, they're all about controversy and they enjoy these hot button topics that, um, that are going to disturb people up in the community and they're not doing it with love. They're doing it to get people stirred up. Um, and you've got these young widows who have kind of just uh, gone sideways with them. And and you have this situation where you've got a group of men and a group of women that are in really bad shape. And and Paul's giving very specific instructions to the men and very specific instructions to the women. Um, and then he establishes, gives Timothy a, a new criteria for leadership. Um, and but the 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 difficulty is that we can we can then just make it up. Um, a, a, a cultural issue only and say, well, that's just what the guys there were doing. And that's just what the women there were doing because, you know, you've got him in first Corinthians 11 telling women how to dress when they prophesy in front of people. So mm-hmm. well, clearly they can't be silent all the time as down to the prophesying. And then you've got Phoebe delivering the letter of Romans to Rome, um, which she would have had to explain and unpack Paul's arguably most theologically dense letter. Mm-hmm. So you've got women in positions that who are speaking to the group and presenting to the group, uh, making theological clarifications to the group. Um, and, and, and there's others too. We could talk about other women in Acts and so forth. But the point is, is that even as Paul's letters, you've got this reality of women speaking. So his prohibition in First Timothy of women not speaking isn't universal. His, his encouragement for them to marry is not universal. And his encouragement even for these guys to stop having, basically to reinstall entire new eldership. I don't know where else that happens in, in the New Testament. So he's doing things with, and, and poor, you know, poor Timothy's there by himself basically trying to make all this happen. Um, and if you read Second Timothy, the, 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 real, the real sadness of it all is none of this worked. Mm. You know, he did all these things and it's the same, even some of the same people are mentioned as still, still stirring up trouble. Um, so that's a whole other, it's really a, a, a heartbreak in, in church, um, just the way a, a community can kind of fall apart. And mm. I guess our only hope is and and guiding sort of light or, or around the clouds is is in Revelation. Ephesus is presented as someone who, at some point, kind of got back on track. Mm-hmm. But it, with the implementation of these issues, uh, these these restrictions that Paul was given Timothy by Second Timothy, it's just it's just a mess. Um, and so I think reading those two things in context is really important because you're seeing a snapshot mm-hmm. of a community. Um, you're recognizing Paul's giving instructions here; he's not giving elsewhere. He's making limitations on women's speech that he's not making elsewhere. And so I think first and foremost, we have to recognize that, that, that this isn't universal commandments. It is, it is specific to the culture. Um, and it's at that point, I think all the egalitarians are like, yeah, that's right. Um, the, the, but the, on the other side of that, the difficulty um, with just saying that's only cultural, it doesn't matter, is that Paul roots the, the issues that the men are having and the women are having in the Genesis narrative of Eve and the, and, and her deception and, and Adam's sin and so forth. Mm-hmm. And then her set when the most problematic passage in the entire chapter is that she shall be saved through childbearing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, I, and I have known women who have been told to their face that, that they, their job is to have kids and that's how they contribute to the kingdom. Um, and I think that is a, another gross misrepresentation of what Paul's saying. Um, and so how do we, on one hand, um, recognize this culture in Ephesus as creating these, these abnormally intense problems where restrictions are implemented 
that aren't the case elsewhere. And even if you look at the word authority in in in, um, in chapter two, verse twelve, the I don't permit a woman to exercise authority, uh, teach or exercise authority. I, I'm, I'm trying to think of the actual wording. Is it teach and exercise authority? Yeah, teach or assume authority. Yeah. So the word authority uh, is not the same word for authority he uses in any of his other letters. That's the only place that word, the Greek word for that word is, 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 is mentioned. And a Greek lexicon will tell you that that word means domination and, and overbearingness. So it is not something oftentimes what happens is like they're doing something men should be doing. <laughs> I don't think Paul's saying anyone should be dominating and overbearing. I mm-hmm. think he's saying they've entered an authority that that is not healthy for community at all in Christian community. Because, um, you know, when he uses authority elsewhere, it's a different word. So this is a, this is a clear, it's actually it's violent domination is, is the way it comes across. So he's saying these women are going out of their way to completely dominate the community in the way that they're approaching other people. And he's not saying, shut up and let the men do that. Mm. He's right. saying you shouldn't be doing that. Right. And you've got all your teaching all wonky because you've been listening to these other elders and these other leaders that are leading you astray. So shut up and learn. And he's telling the men, shut up and stop, stop fighting with each other and hold hands and, or lift your hands and pray. And mm-hmm. so there's these, there's these clear uh, realities that, that people have not, um, they've gone off base. But the problem is, is that they've both gone off base in ways that are not in, uh, that are not entirely inconsistent with the, with the gender dynamics of Genesis 3. So it's less about, it's less about defining particular roles yes. in church governance and yeah. church behavior and more about calling out our propensities of sin that go all the way back to yes and that yeah and that yes there's a tendency for women to drift in this way and there's a tendency for men to drift in this way and that when you get to that verse about the childbirth it's very odd in the greek that it changes pronouns it's she will be saved the childbearing which is eve uh provided that they the women as a whole continue in faith love and and self-control i think is the verse but so so the question is well how does the childbirth how, what what childbirth of Eve has anything to do with all of this? And so we can get into that if you want. But the point is that you have these dynamics in Genesis three, where you have. Let's go ahead and get into it. Um, <laughs> you've got you've got Eve who's deceived. You've got Adam who's standing right there with her in Genesis three. Let me be very clear. He was there with her while she's being deceived. He says nothing. And then he gets all squabbly over stuff that that this is blame shifting, basically, mm-hmm. uh, when it comes down to it, when God calls him out. And then, um, so, and then Eve is told she's going to have difficulty in childbearing. And then in chapter four, um, she has, uh, Cain, um, which, which the, the wording in the Hebrew is very strange, but it's almost like a boast. Um, it's like, it's, it's a, I've basically like, I can make my own people now. Um, mm-hmm. it's like, and, and we often translate it like with the help of Yahweh, I've, it's, that's not what it says. It, it's not, that's not what it says. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's a, it, it's a, it's an implication that, um, essentially it's almost like a boast. Like God said, I'd ha- like, this would be painful. I can make my own people. Mm-hmm. And then it's not long after that, that one son kills the other. And then, oh my gosh, it is painful. Right. And then when she has Seth, there's this sense of just entirely different heart posture with her and she's like she's realizing now that I've got to trust God for these promises of someone to make a way that through my seed this issue that we're now in will be taken care of. And so by the end of chapter 4 she's have she has Seth, she has this childbirth of faith, love and self-control. So she's given this back over to God to trust him for this. And Adam is so checked out at this point, he's not even naming the son. She names Seth. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't like, it's like he's, I don't know, that's a whole other thing. But so what, what, what you have here is Paul presenting this picture of Eve as someone who, yeah, she made the same mistakes that you're doing now, but through the childbirth, she actually stayed faithful. She came back to what God wanted for her. And yeah, the men were all checked out and doing their own thing, but you've got a path here. If you look at Eve for some inspiration, you can see a path of what it looks like to be faithful and trust God for his promises. Instead of trying to, to force, mm-hmm. um, this community to be what you want it to be, trust God. God for it and rest in him, stay in, stay in love and self-control and you'll be okay. Just like Eve in that childbirth. Mm-hmm. And so there's this call to recognize a, um, an example of what it looks like to be a faithful woman when the guys are all checked out. Um, and it looks like this relationship with God being shored up and trusting him for doing what he's doing, not just go have kids. That's a very hyper literal interpretation of like, yeah, I'm going to be like Eve. I'm going to have a, a child. Mm-hmm. Well, your child won't produce a Messiah. So <laughs> it's not the same story. Um, and then, and then you see, you know, um, the hope that those things would actually get turned around. But, but I think that 
there's two things that I would say is one, we can't copy and paste Paul's words from first Timothy, but we'd also be naive to say that men and women left unchecked wouldn't have the same tendency to drift in these ways mm-hmm. in the future. Um, and so we don't want to deny gender specific strengths and gender specific sin patterns. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also can't just because it would be potentially a risk, you know, quote unquote, to, to put women in leadership or let women teach. Um, because, well, what if they turn out like even chapter three? Uh, well, what if men turn out like Adam in chapter three? You know, like we're not, I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's somewhat never nonsensical. never seems to be the concern. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Right. Well, it's because no one reads first Timothy two and says, wow, look at those screwed up men. Mm-hmm. Um, look how they need to change what they're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, no, those women need to stop talking. And that's what, yes, both of those things, but because of what's happening. And I think it's important to see that and see the relief that Paul brings the, the vision that Paul gives these women in Eve to say, look, this, you're not hopeless here. Like other women do this and come back with God in faithfulness, uh, and, and in love. And, and I, and I hope that for you too, um, provided you do those same things as she mm-hmm. did. Um, and then he kind of goes on, especially in Timothy two, to really make sure that everyone knows that the men are the ones who are really being held accountable before God mm-hmm. for the ways they've screwed this community up. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's a whole other discussion but uh, I, I find first Timothy 2 to be an encouragement for women especially that they've been in in religious situations where the men are quarreling and squabbling and 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 power hungry and they've been fed wonky teaching and they, they feel ungrounded and all these things the point is not not to just talk or just share or just try to teach what you know but take a step back and learn which is the very next verse which is that they would learn mm. um so yeah realize that you've been in a crazy community that's been dysfunctional mm. so learn and continue in love and then at some point obviously i don't think these instructions become universal i think they become i think paul's hope that they would be temporary but mm. according to chapter t- or timothy 2 first timothy or second timothy um it's pretty clear that that things didn't turn out the way he hoped it's almost like just good leadership principles right i mean mm-hmm. not i mean i'm that sounds very reductionist of me to say it like that but i mean at one of my mentors years ago told me like when you take a new leadership role the number one thing you need to do for at least the first full year is just shut up and listen yeah and just learn yeah and so it's again kind of to your point like paul paul is less concerned about gender and more just like mm-hmm. hey here here's a really good approach to handle the problem compared to what you are trying to do. And I I think you have a, you know, and you, when you look at his, his um, explanation of who needs to be as, you know, put it back in place as elders, once these other guys are out, you know, you need to put other people in almost all the qualifications are who they are as people, their character qualities. They're not job descriptions. They're not, this is what Mm -hmm. they need to do. Here's how often they got to preach. You know, here's, here's, here's the budget they need to oversee. It's just, no, no, these people need to be like of this kind of character Mm -hmm. because the people you got now weren't. And that's why things, it just, Mm -hmm. you know, it's sort of that get the right people on the bus kind of situation. But I I do think that there then becomes a, a discrepancy then if, because Paul does double down on the fact that God's holding the men accountable, even though the women clearly made some mistakes. He's giving them this positive picture of Eve and bringing up Adam, who in the story of Genesis 4 never really seems to come around. Mm -hmm. And so it's almost like he's just saying to the women, like, you've got some hope here. These guys, I don't know (laughs) about these guys. Um, And by 2 Timothy, we realize that they're not actually in better shape. So, but he does seem to, and this is where you can begin to make gender distinctions that I think... um, get get a little bit more nuanced and difficult for people because the way we've simplified it in the American church um, or in the Protestant church and well, I guess the Catholic church anyway, (laughs) is that we, we, we very much confuse these, these, um, these giftings of leadership, like, like from Ephesians, like teaching and pastoring and apostleship and evangelist and, and so forth um, with the concepts of the elders that he's establishing in, in first Timothy. I mean, we call them the pastoral epistles, but um but there's really like it's it's as if as if Timothy is like the pastor and that's not the situation at all like the reality is like he's there to 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 put put forward this collection of elders who are going to oversee all the pastoring and the teaching and the and the evangelism and the apostleship coming out of this community right and so you have this structure of over just like Paul submitted to the elders of Jerusalem i think so you have this idea that these people uh, oversee the exercise of giftings in this body from the, mm-hmm. from the shepherds and from the teachers. Um, so what one could argue that he makes the elders gender specific as men and before God, they're held accountable. I'm familiar with that argument, but he never <laughs> makes, but he never makes the leadership giftings gender specific. Mm. 
I mean, except unless you unless you're reading First Timothy two twelve extremely literally, he never says that only men are gifted teachers or pastors. And so you have this weird situation where you have female shepherds and male shepherds and female teachers and male teachers and female apostles and male apostles, all these giftings that are non-gender specific. Um, and I think that as we approach it as American churches, if we're looking like for progressive revelation or whatever else, I think it's at least important to recognize that these leadership giftings, uh, Paul never makes a distinction on gender and mm-hmm. never says that there isn't a woman pastor or a woman apostle. And you could even make an argument that, 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 that Junia from uh, Romans 16, he identifies and upholds as a female apostle. Mm-hmm. So you have, you have a tremendous amount of like non-gender specific leadership mm-hmm. happening in churches, if anything, that it should be going together. Um, and so you've got that. So whatever you do with the elder issue is sort of a separate conversation, whether that you, you could argue that progressively, which I, I think Scott McKnight does in, in mm-hmm. Blue Parakeet, that, that progressively you should probably consider making room for female elders if that would be the trajectory. But you could also argue that, that before God, the men are held responsible, and so therefore it needs to be a male, over, male overseers. But either way, those are semantics and issues of polity and not necessarily issues of on the ground, who's actually mm-hmm. teaching this, this group of people, mm-hmm. who's actually functionally exercising their gifts in the room. Are women able to exercise their gifts at the same veracity that a man can, um, and, and, and is that honored in the body? The only reason why that would not be is if... There are, I mean, the question is, are there gender specific dynamics that are operating very similarly to Ephesus? And mm-hmm. if that is the situation, then maybe you could argue that those copied and pasted instructions would be more relevant, that men should start praying together and stop arguing and women should take time and learn and not try to teach from what they don't know and try to be domineering. If that's the culture of the community, eh, maybe those instructions are relevant, <laughs> but honestly, is that the culture of the community? And if it's not, then how do we appropriate those, uh, uh, those intentions of Paul to make sure that everyone's exercising their gifts and teaching one another and growing together? Um, and then the question is, is this that, is that overseen by a healthy group of elders? And then you've got to make a, 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 a declaration on whether you believe eldership should be progressive to include progressive revelation there to eventually include women, or if those gender dynamics he's laying out in Second Timothy are still relevant in terms of who before God is held responsible for the spiritual condition of a community. Yeah. So I think it's, it's encouraging to hear that robust of a, of a, I don't want to say defense or even explanation or just like, um, a, a very specific intentional look at what, what does scripture do like we're talking about mm-hmm. who was it written to what sure. does it mean what can it do for us and i think it's it's comforting to know a that like you can do that with mm. with scripture that has historically not been kind mm-hmm. <laughs> to right. people i mean this is something that i was taught in junior high and mm-hmm. youth group camp of like this is this is a kind of person you'll be able to be someday mm-hmm. yeah. is like somebody who who won't talk but can be Mm-hmm. part of this community mm-hmm. that other people run. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's it's good to hear people talk frankly mm. about scripture like this and in a not in a way that feels like it's excusing mm-hmm. because I've I've heard a lot of people just dismiss Paul as mm-hmm. a whole because yeah. of stuff like this either because they don't like it or because like we were saying he says different things to different people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's a lot of like well, he just was trying to exercise authority over these people. This right. is, these are, which I guess he, he, yeah, he was, but like yeah, right. in a dom, in a domineering kind of way. Right. Um, or you just take like, okay, well he also said there is no, you know, male or female or slave right. or free in Christ. Mm-hmm. So like I can dismiss everything he says about gender politics mm-hmm. just straight out the gate because well, right. he acknowledges that it's not really real when mm-hmm. we talk about who we are in Christ Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't want to dismiss the, the things that he say, the things that he said, just because I don't like them or because I think that they're wrong. Mm-hmm. If you can right. say that you think scripture is wrong, if you're allowed to say that, um, because it is still scripture, it's in the Bible and it's hard to, 
feel comfortable dismissing some things and deciding not to dismiss mm. others. Right. And, um, and where do you draw that line? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's, it really always just becomes arbitrary of like, this is what I feel mm-hmm. is, is true. And right. I don't want to also, I also don't want to dismiss that right. mm-hmm. uh, because life is very experiential and you know, yeah. the Holy spirit is inside you and mm-hmm. there's like, that is also part of it. Yeah. But I think it's, I get, maybe I'm just restating what I've said before, but like, you're allowed to look into things. And mm-hmm. I think I'm, I'm almost always pleasantly surprised by what I find. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. oh yeah, God is good actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. If this is true, then it's, it's true for the verses that I have a hard time accepting or verses that have been used against me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think it kind of goes back to what we're saying about doubt and a willingness to ask questions and mm-hmm. be curious and take everything off the table and say like, okay, so what does this actually mean? I'm not going to skip over it. I'm not going to blindly accept it as literally true universally. Um, and I'm going to look at, look at it with the comfort of knowing that ultimately God is good and Christ is redemptive and we are set free from mm-hmm. things of the world, which include, you know, like oppressive um, domination of like women and slaves and all this stuff, I think it's really easy to take issues like this and say the Bible is contradictory hmm. because it says we're free, but it says this. And I think it's just, it's a little harder to say, well, if, if one thing's true, then it all has to be true. Mm-hmm. And it is true. <laughs> you just have to, you just have to spend a lot of time mm-hmm. wrestling yeah. with it. And I find that, you know, how people interpret or how people have, have landed on that particular issue. Just the, this, the women being able to teach, for instance, you know, like, mm-hmm. um, you know, you ask someone, you know, who's a man, you know, would, do you think it's okay for you to learn from a woman? And their response to that will be pretty telling. Right. And it'll all kind of hang on how they probably uh, interpret, you know, first Timothy two twelve. Um, and I find that what that means is, is that, I am not going to be able to, because because everything that I just did for a few minutes there, probably longer than a few minutes. <laughs> I'm a pastor and a professor, so just really, that's that all whammy. Yeah, so there's that. It really all of that was basically exegesis and then hermeneutics. You know, the exegesis of the then and there, and the mm-hmm. hermeneutics of the here and now. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's what was going on then. So that's how it appropriates to us now. Mm-hmm. That's what, and so you have this specific thing he's mentioning to that culture. Then he roots it in something that's universal, like like the story of creation, the gender dynamics there. And so then we put those things together. We have this now intentionality that we can carry forward to today, um, that will be modified based on the community you're looking at. And it's very difficult to look at community and be like, you guys are acting like Ephesus, mm-hmm. and it's also very. Uh, hard to then, you know, put those things in practice, but it's also very, um, it's also very abusive to say you guys are like Ephesus when you're not, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and try to limit and, and, and exclude and, 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 and lessen the validity of people's gifts in a community that isn't having the same spiritual struggles. You know, it's just a mis- misunderstanding. But what I find is that um, w- whatever that conclusion is, it's been driven by a particular hermeneutic. It's been mm. being driven by a particular inter- or exegesis or a- approach to scripture, how they're reading scripture, which means that I can't just say, well, you know, that's not what Paul meant, you mm-hmm. know, or Paul meant these other things, or Paul's talking mm-hmm. to this bigger issue or whatever else. Immediately, it's like, well, that's not how I read it. Mm-hmm. Mm. And so that's why I kind of mentioned early on that I think that before we ever do any real biblical study, we have to get on the same page of what it means to even read scripture in the first place. What are we reading? What are we looking for? What questions we do we have answered before we start? What is this thing that we're reading? Um, and, and how do we, you know, is it God's word to a particular people in a particular point in history that then we now have carried forward as a, on the whole, a main, main, main pointer to Jesus, or is it, you know, God's love letter to me or whatever else, mm-hmm. you know, uh, or is it a list of do's and don'ts that I just, that's what the Bible says. And that's all there is. And, I find that if I'm ever going to come on to be on the same page with someone, usually, not, not, not always, but usually if we're going to arrive at the same takeaway or application of a passage, we kind of have to have the same hermeneutic and how we're reading the passage. Um, cause if we're reading it differently, vastly different interpretations come out of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah, can, can people get on the same page on how they read scripture and approach scripture? Um, and I, I, 
I think I think we can, but I think that that would then mean that we have to be open to having a lot of our those flagship verses and those statements about how we're organizing our churches kind of called into question and realize that the thing that I thought, um, you know, really was just kind of a, a misunderstanding or, um, uh, I mean, and, and at worst is, you know, Tozer said an idol of the mind, mm. you know, we have a projection of who we want God to be. And mm-hmm. so we project it onto the page and that's how we read it. And God is just a, um, sort of a, 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 a collection of what we want to be true and a mm. projection of good thoughts that we have. And we dismiss what we don't like and whatever feeds that. But, yeah, I, I I don't know how to. I mean, we could just lay this out for people, but I'm not for sure how to actually invite someone who would be unwilling to receive teaching from a woman. Um, how do you invite them to understand that's not what Paul is saying in his intention uh, for Christian community? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I think we have to first that 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 issue is f- so far downstream from. What do we do with the Bible when we pick it up and how do we understand what it is? You know, um, you know, the, the quote from Galatians you mentioned about there being no more men and women or slave or free. You know, it's interesting trying to parse out that intentionality as almost it's almost like he's speaking against the culture rather than a uh, vision for kingdom cult. It's almost like, you know, like these mm-hmm. these power differentials or these disparities between people do not exist in Christ. You know, like we're all the same. And how do we. um you know, it's like there's the there's a risk on that side too of just like uh, almost making men and women and the gender differences irrelevant, and therefore we lose we lose the beauty of collective image bearing, you know, side by mm-hmm. side, you know, and the ways that God's image is is displayed uniquely in in women and in men, and how together there is a a broader picture of the image of God on display. Um, if you're reading, you know, Genesis two the way I do. Uh, <laughs> so, so it becomes, again, it becomes an issue of that's problematic because mm-hmm. I, I remember once talking to a guy over coffee and I said, I, I find that I, that we best image God when we minister alongside women in that reality mm-hmm. that we together, we, we both display an, an, an image of God that, or part of God's image that together is more full, like, like marriage or any of those other moments where, you know, God talks about oneness and so forth. Um, and yeah, there was a real resistance to that, a real resistance that, any, that, that, that men image God and women do not, um, which mostly becomes out of a, a misunderstanding of 1 Corinthians 11. Was that when the guy was going to throw coffee on you? Is no. That the same guy? <laughs> no, 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 different guy. I don't know why I keep having coffee with these fellows. <laughs> um, so as we start to move towards the end of this discussion, um, as wonderful as it's been, and there's, man, like for every part of this conversation i feel like i jotted down multiple questions i think we hit like two bullet points on our original outline there's so much good stuff we'll just have to do it we'll come back around to it i'm free all year okay i'm free all year great (laughs) permanent guest yes um i guess one question i'd like to throw out and again this goes to either of you but in your experience like how, how what are good practices or good things to be aware of um that help protect us from just going to scripture in a way where we just want to use it to validate the things that we want to believe or support the behaviors we want to live out. Um, are there, are there mindsets or postures or practices that we can engage? And, And this is, I mean, this isn't just about like, this isn't just about, topics of, you know, women in ministry or, um, homosexuality. I mean, other things as well, you know, how do we protect ourselves, if you will, from just using scripture to validate things we want to believe? I have two answers. Uh, one's practical and one's academic, right? Uh, The practical one is, I think we should read scripture with other people and, and read it in community and study it in community. Um, and not just community, but community of people that, that aren't like us, you know, mm, yeah. uh, that, 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 you know, I, I, nothing frustrates me and gives me more joy than studying the Bible with people mm. who arrive at different conclusions than I do. Yeah. You know, there's something good about that. Yeah. Um, there's something, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a story I, I heard one time, I don't remember who told it, um, 
but it was a guy who who went who took a job in 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 California and he had like an hour commute and he um he was talking to his coworker when he got to the office and the, and the coworker had the same commute you know, the same same stretch of I don't know why they didn't carpool but it's a story. <laughs> <laughs> they had the same stretch and the, and the coworkers and they had been he'd been driving this this commute for like uh, like two months and he said and the coworkers like well at least you get like you know that that pasture where all those cows those dairy cows are at you know, for like a half an hour of the commute. And the guy adamantly was like, there are no dairy cows <laughs> on my commute. And he's like, I think we're driving the same, the wrong road or different roads. And the guy's like, no, I swear, like you're driving the same highway I am. And there's a half, like half an hour of the commute is dairy cows, you know, happy cows, California, all that stuff. And um, anyway, on the way home, looks over to his right for a half an hour, there's dairy cows. <laughs> um, and sometimes I, th- I found that to be true uh, in reading scripture. You know, like I can pass by the same passage yeah, over and over and over again. And then someone just was like, wow, did you see those cows? Yeah. Like, <laughs> how did I miss a cow yeah. for a half an hour? You know, but I do because I just get, you know, I get used to, oh, that's the verse that affirms that doctrine or right. reminds me of that truth or whatever. And all of a sudden someone else comes along with, like, wow, do you see that? Right. Like, Wow, I've, I I had no idea that was even there. I had never thought that, never saw that connection. Um, but that only comes from reading people who, or reading with people who haven't, you know, that aren't always at the same conclusions you are, mm-hmm. or haven't always just read the same authors you've read, or, you know, hold to the same, you know, black and white interpretations of theology. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, but it, it is frustrating because you're like, no, no, that's not what this verse is about. Let me <laughs> tell you what it's about. <laughs> it's <not> justification. <laughs> you know? Um, and that's good. Yeah, maybe, but it's also about something else and yeah. that's okay too. Um, so yeah, personally, I'd say the practical way of getting out of that rut is reading with other people mm-hmm. um, really and primarily studying scripture in community. What would you say, Ben? I think it's, I think it's similar to something that I said when we were talking about the topic of hell is, um, for me, it, a lot of it does come back to also just a, a posture as we approach um, conversations like this, because I do find myself, I mean, there's a couple moments where I even joked about it, like where it's, it's easy to get nervous or it's easy to get defensive or it's easy to, um, just jump to a certain conclusion and a particular conclusion I'm used to or familiar right, with. Right. Um, and so I think for me, what helps what can help not using scripture to simply just validate the same, the same thing I've, I've believed or what I want to believe or behavior I want to live out or whatever is, is a, is a posture that says, okay, I want to come into this conversation or into this other perspective in a posture of humility and not fearful. Like I don't want to be afraid of, of what I'm about to hear, or I don't want to be afraid of what I'm going to be maybe convicted about or exhorted or encouraged or called, called to, or called out on or something of that nature. Um, and I think, I think that when we have fear around certain beliefs or uh, actually, no, let me say it this way. I think when we idolize and idealize certain beliefs and behaviors that is paired naturally with fear when those feel attacked and and under questioned um and so i think for me it is like do i have a genuine level of humility in my heart and in my mind to receive challenge on this whether that's coming in the context of community to your point, or just directly, you know, as I'm, as, as I'm engaging with scripture through the Holy spirit, um, or, or am I so resistant to those things? Am I so resistant to, um, beliefs that are different than what are, what I'm familiar with? So I think, I think for me, that's what helps me. It's one of the things that helps me, um, not just revert back to, well, this is, this is just what I've always believed. This is just what I've always grown up with. This is just what scripture has always proved, you know, or or validated. Um, but to approach in a posture of humility and say, okay, I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to, um, overreact and I can just come into this humbly. If I can, to your point, Ben, um, I think that humility is for me, the, 
highest benchmark of maturity. Mm. Um, I think that for most of my life in ministry, um, I've been taught one of three different things are maturity. One is knowledge that the more, you know, and more you understand, the more you can unpack the proper mm-hmm. exegesis and hermeneutics of a passage. That's what it means to be mature. Mm. Um, that's not true. Um, another thing is spiritual giftedness. Mm. You know, the more gifted someone is, the more mature they must be in the spirit. And therefore mm. the more responsibility we should give them. Mm-hmm. That's definitely not true. Um, and then the third is, is behavioral. You know, the more mm. someone acts holy and moral and, you know, um, has defeated various demons in their life. Those are the people we want, we want to put in, you know, in charge and, and people we want leading the Bible studies and telling us what scripture should say, you know, um, but that's not true either. Someone can be very moral and quite immature, mm-hmm. you know, but I've never found anyone who's humble and immature, mm-hmm. at least not, not, not in Christian community. Um, and so for me, uh, I agree about the humility in your, as you approach scripture and community and all of it. But just speaking as a pastor, I can say that humility is, has become sort of my new benchmark for leadership mm-hmm. as well. And those that I want influencing people in community, if you're humble, you're probably mature. If you're not humble, you're definitely not. Mm. So it doesn't matter how gifted or knowledgeable yeah. or behavioral, uh, behaviorally sound you are. Yeah. You know, if the humility is not there, I think the humility will bring the rest, mm. you know, it's good. but the rest won't bring humility. Yep. It's very catchy. I got a million of them. <laughs> good thing to end on. I know. You should. <laughs> is there any, is there any last word to the listener we want to give? Or? Uh, I have a few things I like to say about predestination. <laughs> <laughs> We wanted to end this episode with a thank you to the Basecamp community. Basecamp is Uncharted's community for people passionate about advancing God's kingdom all over the world. The generous support of Basecamp is how we're able to care for, train, and multiply disciples in overlooked and unreached places. You can join the Basecamp community by signing up for automatic monthly donations. Head to unchartedinternational.org give and join today.